volunteering. I was getting into mm. the Christmas spirit. No, no, I don't I care. Was, I don't care. I, I, I was going to start this episode by asking, oh, what did you do on your uh, little Thanksgiving break? But apparently it was ruining my day. That's what you were doing. <laughs> well, I, you ruined the day yourself <laughs> oh. by stipulating that we have a rest and relaxation weekend. Mm. I don't know how you actually get schlepping myself off to the theater to actually see a movie. I don't know how how that's rest. You rest only needed to see look, when typically when we do an R and R, we're supposed uh-huh. to see three movies apiece. Two for each of us together. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. one separately. Alright? That's quick, how R quick R&R listener sh- poll. Quick listener poll. How often do you get to see three movies in one week? <sighs> if you're a young professional like me, oh, that's not, not very young often. professional. Yeah. Because cool. yes. Greg's schedule is so busy. What are you, Indeed like, it is. the assistant to Gwyneth Paltrow? I don't know. <laughs> to Kim Kardashian? Well, who's who's, big, we who's big right gonna, now? I thought we weren't going to talk about our professions here. Oh, but okay. Paltrow, Miss Paltrow is very busy, okay? <laughs> is it? Oh, right, she has... She's she's still Ms. She's not Mrs. I don't I don't know what her what's her relationship. Greg, what's her relationship status? Dish. Of course, I'm not going to talk. But that's what she needs to be referred to as needs. Okay. Oh, and okay. I can't look at her in the eye. <laughs> <laughs> so as long as we keep this conversation brief, all right, mm. I'll be able to get paid my weekly wage of goop <laughs> products. Um, <laughs> Of your jade vagina eggs. Yes, I'm feeling really good about these oils. Maybe that's not the use for the egg. However, I find that it is uh, it is as as soothing and comforting as the ads say. Uh, mm. It's well worth the $800, I think. So. Okay, and speaking hey, some, of goop, some assistants I... would love to pull down $800 a week. All right, I, but I get an egg. It's great. I, I mean, I didn't want to get on a goop tangent, but we must. Yeah. Sorry, this is where the conversation is heading. <laughs> I, I feel like at a certain point they're trolling. Like they know that what they sell is absolutely ridiculous. Oh, oh absolutely. They were selling. I I read the story. They were selling a thirteen hundred dollar restraining arts kit, basically like a little BDSM <laughs> kit for wellness. <laughs> oh, and Wait, this is the tagline. I... It's bound to please. <laughs> Wait, I, I've, I'm stuck on the term the restraining arts. <laughs> yes. So it's not. It's not uh, sado sadomasochism. What's the, what's the full acronym for BDSM? Uh, it's b- bound. Um, that's a good question. I've never actually yeah. thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> I know the and we know the last two. I'm pretty yes. sure it's sado and masochism. Mm-hmm. But yeah, what is, what is the what is the B and the D? I'm glad I'm glad we really got in this conversation. You brought up Miss Paltrow, so I can't believe I'm gonna be to... I can't believe I'm gonna be googling this. B D S M. Yes, Pri- uh, private browsing, safe search on, please. Oh yes, I should probably let me let me open an incognito window first. Yeah, <laughs> this is bad. B D S M. Yes, they have to be taking the piss, as it were, because. Yeah, like the restraining arts. Nobody, nobody feels good about buying that publicly. Uh, Fifty Shades of Grey hasn't been a thing for a while. Like that's fallen off the radar. So, what, what exactly, what exactly is the appeal of Goop, other than just to bilk these rubes out of uh, what I, what I presume are are pretty well off uh, young women who live in Park Slope or some other ritzy part of the ritzy part of a, a American metropolis. What exactly what exactly are they getting out uh, of this? I think you just history? Greg, you just answered your own question. All right. Rich people will buy whatever dumb thing they need to to look like they're in the know. Like how do you think Donald Absolutely. Trump made his billions? Or quote unquote yeah. billions. 
Um, well, he's well, he's scammed people. He's savvier than I think the average billionaire who. Well, that's now what Goop is too. It's a scam. A, yes, but I mean, like, as long as the scam is good enough, no one's gonna look past it. No one's gonna be like, well, I mean, uh, all right, yeah, it's dumb, but uh, isn't it kind of dumb that we're all part of this? But there have to be fewer scammers than scammees, because mm. that's the thing. Donald Trump and Gwyneth Paltrow are savvy enough to take mm. advantage of the rooks out there. However, as if anybody tuned into television this weekend, they saw a great ad presented by Michael Bloomberg. Ah, um, yes. Who's pushing uh, his own presidential campaign, pouring upwards of $50 million to put out minute-long ads. A minute, a minute is an eternity on television. Mm. And this... this uh, this bozo decides, like, I'm going to put an ad evoking 9-11, an event for which he was not mayor of the city in, that it happened in. <laughs> can we just, can we just like, end the political careers of all people who end up being mayor of New York? Because they're all morons. They all end up oh, being absolutely Oh, it's morons. already, yeah, it's already over for them. Yeah. <laughs> they just don't know it yet. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I'd say it's a pretty worthwhile proposition. You have a lot of power as the mayor of New York, but mm. it's an impossible job. I mean, the the trains can never run on time <laughs> at this point. <laughs> no, I mean, that, that whole infrastructure, like, we talk about decaying infrastructure. Like, imagine New York. When's the last yeah. time you've been to New York? It's like, yikes. It, <laughs> this summer, when the garbage was marinating on the streets, it was mm. wonderful. Delicious. Delicious smells. Yeah. Mm. Oh, the sights and sounds of New York. The heart of the world! <laughs> It it didn't help that LaGuardia was under like a what I presume is an eighteen gazillion dollar renovation. <laughs> How did we get to this? We were started. We talked about. Goop. I don't know. Yeah, we start, we started about you being mad about the movies I was unable to watch this weekend. Yeah, I mean we could have when, even watched the report if we really wanted to. That's on Amazon Prime now, but whatever. Okay. Yeah. By the way, bondage, discipline, dominance, submission, sadism, masochism. That's what BDSM stands okay. for. <laughs> all right, all right. Good. Thank you for thank you for wheeling it back to <laughs> what this show is really about. John, are you John? Do you practice the the restraining arts? No, I do not. No. Okay. I mean, right, believe I, me, I've been waiting. That, I've been waiting for you to tee me up to talk about my sex life. But believe it or not, no, we're not into that. <laughs> okay. Just making sure. I, I, I thought this would be an, an open avenue, an open invitation to, uh, to reveal ourselves personally. You know what? I think um, it's important that everyone realizes that the Aspiring Snobs podcast is a sex-positive show. Okay? We are just all about uh, that. Mm. <laughs> Half of it is. Again, very sex-negative. Mm. It's clammy. Uh, I have performance issues. <laughs> <laughs> performance anxiety, let's call it. <laughs> and so... No, no, no. Let's keep it on issues. <laughs> yeah. So I'm I'm pretty sex negative overall, I'd say. Okay. Uh, just don't do it. All right. All right. Good. There are enough people as it is, if you ask me. <laughs> well, if you're not, if you're doing it the right way, then there won't be. <laughs> yeah. If you're doing uh, it the smart way, if you're planning and thoughtful if about you're it, pl- which I know yeah. is the most erotic thing. Um, <laughs> Not if the Republicans have their way. Am I right, folks? Yeah, oh, my yes, gosh. We are just... political. Oh, my political. gosh. We are just... We are looping it around. We're talking goop. We're talking Republicans. We're talking BDSM. We're just all over the place. I know. This is by far the best opening to a show we've ever had. <laughs> yes. But let's let's steer it in an even better direction. Okay. Yes, it's another R&R, mm-hmm. uh, standing for rest and relaxation, but also recent releases, i.e. movies that people actually want to talk about and hear about. Mm-hmm. So, uh, John, let's get started, huh? Let's, let's talk about the it. big event movie. I mean, there have been a lot in 2019, but let's talk about the, the latest one to come along. 
Mm -hmm. Yes, because it's it's not just an event in terms of the director and all the people that he's he's gotten back together his main cast but also the fact that it's a it's a it's a three-hour epic and it's right yeah. on your personal screen it's on netflix it came to theaters first but now it's on netflix for everybody to enjoy we're talking about oh saints be praised <laughs> martin scorsese has blessed us once again with his new film the irishman frank sheeran i saying that right yeah you said right uh under the contract management can only fire a driver on very specific charges so you ever show up late? No. Do you have any moving violations? No. Do you drink on the job? No. You ever hit anybody? On a job? Yeah. I don't think so. All right, then. We don't have nothing to worry about. For shame, John. For shame. <laughs> for, for A, for that terrible Irish accent. Okay. But B... You didn't acknowledge the true title of this movie, one of which I was surprised to actually see. They just kind of kept it yeah. in, in the movie itself. Mm -hmm. This is based on a book called, and yes, it's not a catchy title, but it's called I Hear You Paint Houses. Mm -hmm. And that's actually the title they kept, and it's not until like the very end they're like, oh, the, you know. The, and they, it's, and it's, it's very noncommittal. Yeah. It's like, oh, the, yeah. uh, you just watched The Irishman. Oh, well, I mean, it's kind of I Heard You Paint Houses, but it's it's The Irishman. Yeah. Like it flits back and forth. Very weird title cards. Also, I didn't care for the font, but that's beside the point. <laughs> John, is that not the only thing you care for? Because there are a few filmmakers, I think, as let's say, divisive or poured over than one Martin Scorsese, especially in this in this time when uh, he, he's spoken derisively of uh, the MCU, mm. the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That's true, and that's all I could think about watching this movie. It's just my white-hot rage for my, <laughs> my epic defense of the MCU. If the MCU were yeah. e is not considered cinema. <laughs> no, what my first kind of initial impressions of this movie is just how amazing Martin Scorsese, if not maybe this movie is just the way that he's able to kind of rebrand himself and while this is a movie that obviously it's, it's got a lot of pedigree behind it and he's reunited with a lot of actors that he's famous for working for and it's a genre the quote-unquote gangster film that he's used to doing it feels so much different than any other movie he's done before involving these actors i feel like i mean there's there's a lot of raging bull i feel like to this movie but um it's just kind of so fascinating just you know, watching the man work, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think we don't appreciate his versatility, even though he's done, he's done the gangster film like over and over again, and, mm -hmm. and we see these tropes like you know, to legendary, energetic actors like say Robert De Niro, Al, uh, Joe Pesci, or for the first time since he's never worked with him before, Al Pacino, mm -hmm. like kind of work together, and they have this like energetic, ratatat dialogue. You know, continuity's thrown out the window. <laughs> um, like even though that's what we see in either a gangster film like God, like Casino or Goodfellas or in a movie like Raging Bull, even though that's what we expect. Yeah, here you're you're right. The tenor is very different, mm -hmm. and we don't really appreciate how versatile he is as, as a filmmaker because this is coming off also like Silence, which is much more meditative. Mm -hmm. uh, he's done movies like again other like religious movies like The Last Temptation of Christ or Cundin or mm -hmm. you know you know he's 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 much he's much different or at least he can. He's he's kind of a master of tone, and the tone of this is is just slightly different, and that's really what I wanted to like nail uh, the Irishman on first. Is what did you think of the tone? Because it is very different than uh, Goodfellas or Casino. Yeah, it's very um, staid. I would say it's very quiet. It's very kind of remorseful. And again, going back to his whole career, like he's also someone who makes 
who's you know has made like bombastic biopics he also directed the aviator and this is very much not that uh if you were looking for if you were coming into this movie looking for a three-hour sprawling history of the mob uh, you kind of get that but not really like raging bull this is a very kind of impressionistic work and it's also meant to be kind of obtuse so yeah going along with the tone it's kind of meant to be more meditative it's meant to be more of a man it's literally a man reflecting on his own life that's the framing device uh there's an unseen person us the viewer who kind of walks in on this retirement home and sits down with robert de niro's character uh frank sharon um yeah as the, he, t- the titular irishman yeah who um, um, basically who heard uh paints houses <laughs> And he rec- recounts his kind of career with the mob, first meeting up with uh, uh, Joe Pesci's character, Russo, and mm-hmm. uh, Russell, sorry, Russell, and his uh, friendship with Jimmy Hoffa, one Jimmy Hoffa, played oh, yeah. by my favorite ham, Al Pacino. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, Al Pacino, he's declined so far. No! Everyone forgets the best Al Pacino is a hammy Al Pacino. <laughs> Laryngitis and all. <laughs> yes. So... <laughs> Maybe let's start on the... I, I wanted to look at this movie as a unit of actors. So mm-hmm. Maybe let's start with Robert De Niro. Mm-hmm. He, he's much more understated here, because as you said, like we're, we're literally narrating... He's narrating from his deathbed, mm-hmm. essentially. He's in a nursing home. There's a long tracking shot through it, and it's kind of... A, even though it starts straightforward, it gets a little maze-like, and I think that's a reflection for the rest of the picture uh, and maybe this guy, because... Yeah, he's he's pretty, as you said, he's pretty um, stoic. Yeah, there, there's not a lot um, to his character. He's he's not gonna fly off the wire like Jimmy Conway. And also um, one of the other, or like condescending like um, Ace, Ace Rosty, not above it all. Yeah, exactly. And uh, going back to like Goodfellas, the Goodfellas comparison is uh, obviously Hank Hill doesn't start out as like a ruthless killer. He eventually kind of becomes one. He kind of gets ingratiated into the mob slowly. Here, it's yeah. it, we pretty much meet him. And he's pretty much capable of killing from the, the word go. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> anything you ask him to do, he'll do. <laughs> like, there's no green period. No. And that's actually one of the best scenes, and really indicative of the style that Scorsese and how versatile he is. One of the great scenes is this flashback where he's um, he's thinking back to, I believe he's already committed a kill, or we've seen him commit a killing. And he's like, that's not my first. Uh, um, he reminisces about his World War II days. Mm-hmm. And particularly first in, just like the mob, they, they have these codes for how they want you to execute somebody. <laughs> they, they, they just said, like, um, he gets commanded by his commanding officer in World War II, just, like, to take care of business or get it done quickly. Yeah, <laughs> Go out exactly. to the woods and, like, you know. And it's the same thing here. You do get one close-up that shows off the, the youthification, uh, de-aging technology. Uh, I was um, really hoping we didn't have to talk about that, but I do think we have to yeah, talk about that. I th- yeah, maybe not yet, but I, okay. I want to talk about how great this scene is because we've seen Scorsese do these, like as you said, bombastic, really energetic moments of violence, and that's what makes him so compelling. Here, it's kind of shot wide. Um, we don't know who these characters are. And yeah, we get voiceover narration. He can't like why? Why do they dig the graves? They know they're dead anyway. But um, <laughs> once the 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 deed does get doled out, it's shot in a in a wide shot, full body of Robert De Niro. So you can't see faces. You can't really see expression. And that's basically sets the template for every other act of violence that we see in this movie. It's just a, a wide shot of Robert De Niro's character, like just. Do, doing his during doing his dirty deed and then being done with it. Exactly. Yeah. And it's I, meant to be quick. It's it, meant to be not painless, but it's 
it's it's trying to avoid as much of the mess as they can and it goes with the whole kind of morbid sensibility of this whole movie uh one of the yeah. other kind of little clever tricks and i think the the kind of most stylistic thing that Martin Scorsese does with this movie is when he introduces us to character, he also introduces us to how they die. You know, it's like yeah. the title card will come up and it's like shot seven times in the face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, you know, died at, died at the age 83 of colorectal cancer or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So d- death is kind of ov- overhanging the movie and, you know, trying to keep a, maybe like this stoic distance, maybe just as Frank Sheeran did. Um, because as you said, he's not a very emotional guy, and um, but and he's in sharp relief to what becomes his confidant. Uh, he serves as the bodyguard for after he gets ingratiated into the mob, and that's that's as you said, the great Al Pacino playing, oh. <laughs> looking and acting nothing like the real Jimmy Hoffa. <laughs> Ooh, I'm Jimmy Hoffa. Yeah. I'm a mob boss. I'm a union leader. He wasn't a mob boss, Sean. Sorry, nor was bad. Henry Hill a, a killer. Mm. I have to, I have to. Um, uh, correct you on that. Yeah, right. My bad. The movie Goodfellas. Yeah, you're right. My bad. My bad. Yeah. I, and I think I called him Hank Hill by accident. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, Bobby. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, Al Pacino, uh, he's obviously playing Jimmy Hoffa a bit over the top, which is kind of the point, because yeah. if there's one thing that kind of defines Jimmy Hoffa's career with the mafia is the fact that he got too big for his britches, and that's kind of the whole point of the movie, and that's the whole reason why we care about Frank Sheeran is because he's the, he's really one of the few people who knows what happened to Jimmy Hoffa. Jimmy Hoffa, I think, is legendary for the. Well, fact- he he says he does. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been some disputes. I I think Frank Sheeran's the the biography that this movie's based on, written by Charles Brandt. Some people have said it um, kind of comports to history about as much as Oliver Stone's JFK does, mm-hmm. which is to say, not not very much. Okay, but, but I, well, yeah, that's, one of the that's things all I do. I'm sure Charles Brandt has receipts. We'll, okay, but we'll find out. Yeah. I mean, the but what I kind of appreciated the fact is that there's uh, part of the reason why JFK, or at least you know why that is clearly not history, is because it's so ridiculous. <laughs> and here it's yeah. kind of very banal. It's like again, like mm-hmm. the fact that you know Jimmy Hoffa's body was never found. It's like, oh, what a great mystery! And then in this movie, it's presented as no, he just went to the incinerator. And I think literally the yeah. voiceover says, and that was it. <laughs> like, there's no great mystery to it. <laughs> no. I want you to meet my cousin Russell Buffalino. How are you? Hi, nice to meet you. It was like the army. You followed orders. You did the right thing. You got rewarded. friend of ours is having a little trouble friend at the top back then there was nobody in this country who didn't know who jimmy hoffa was you always charge a guy with a gun with a knife you run away so you charge with a gun with a knife you run but yeah like the movie's central relationship besides Jimmy Hoffa and Frank is also that of Russell, Jimmy, uh, Joe Pesci's character, who, again, like, in sharp relief to Jimmy Hoffa, is kind of quiet, resigned, again, speaks in code, uh, doesn't typically get his hands dirty, and is, again, playing against type, Joe Pesci, when he's working with Martin Scorsese, is kind of characterized as, like, the big bombastic one, the one who's, you know, prone to yeah. outbursts of violence. And in this movie, he's <laughs> he's very resigned, he's very kind of cautious, he's very thoughtful, and he, he's he's hiding behind his big fat glasses. <laughs> yeah. 
And in my favorite touch, emotionally needy, because mm. uh, once he gracious, gratiates himself with uh, Frank Sheeran and his family, he tries to buy, or at least win the affections of their daughter, uh, Frank Sheeran's daughter, Peggy, who has, who's obviously having none of it. Yeah. Um, in the most like kind of heartbreaking scene, he gives her... Uh, a give, big gift for for Christmas, and then later reveals, oh, there's a hundred dollar bill in there too, <laughs> and she can't even thank him for the hundred dollars, like she knows. Yeah. And yeah, like seeing like seeing him like a like a turtle like retreat back in his shell. Like she said, thank you once, it's fine. <laughs> um, again, like just a great contrast. And I was wondering, like, why did they decide to bring Joe Pesci back? Because he was famously retired for like, gosh, he's been retired for like fifteen years, isn't? And has only come back to do. Robert De Niro a favor in The Good Shepherd, mm-hmm. do like one scene. I think do Taylor Hackford a favor and be in a nothing movie called Love Ranch. Like, <laughs> not a nothing movie, but some a movie nobody has seen, seen or cares about. But it, to kind of come back and play like more understated or calm or, or not not being like a, a big showy awards baity performance. And it's not until like the very end that we see like, he he suffered a stroke and now he's in the same nursing home or at least in the same prison that Frank Sheeran is mm-hmm. but now he's confined to a wheelchair he's he's got no teeth left he's the the meal they share of like dipping bread in red wine now they're doing it in in grape juice and he's and he it 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 was actually like kind of devastating to see him in that state and so that kind of conforms to the to the rest of the movie maybe let's talk about the the tone and what Scorsese does cuz it really tries to condense mafia history down into like the first hour and a half, mm-hmm. but it's not until like the latter hour and a half, or actually two plus hours at this point, like when Frank actually does carry out the assassination of Jimmy Hoffa, mm-hmm. and there's no music, <laughs> and scenes are played out at, at like in their long stretch, like we see the same car like pull up around the same corner three times, mm-hmm. and. It's and literally for the latter half of the movie. There's no music and things just kind of like deteriorate in this very staid, banal style. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to see what you thought of that. Well, again, it's emotional. Just, like it's just yeah. in sharp relief to again thinking about his movies like Goodfellas and Casino, and also The Wolf of Wall Street to a certain extent. Those are movies that kind of celebrate the excesses of criminality. And this movie, yeah, like it's it's funny in sharp relief like it it talks all about the business of you know being a mobster and all the extortion rackets that they're doing and all the corruption but it's like no one's having any fun (laughs) and there's no (laughs) enjoyment out of it and i think that's Mm. also why the the permeation of death is such an important factor in this movie because everyone's looking back at their life and wondering what was it all for like yeah even if they had like you know like experienced all the revelries and stuff like that like was it worth it was it really worth like all the killing was it really worth mm-hmm. all the stress and i think that is ultimately like the thesis of the movie is you know frank looking back and saying no absolutely not because <laughs> and and also why it's important that his daughter is kind of a not really a central character in the movie because she really has no lines but that's kind of the point <laughs> she's like well yeah i want to dispute that a little bit so mm-hmm. The emotional through line is Frank's relationship with his daughter and how they're estranged because of his work, his violent work for the mafia. Exactly. And a lot of people are disputing, like, uh, later Peggy Sheeran is played by Anna Paquin. Uh, Anna Paquin, an Academy Award winning actress. But as you said, like, she doesn't, she doesn't have very many lines. And some people have said, like, oh, this isn't, you know, representational of women. Like, what the, what the heck? <laughs> and I, I kind of want to dispute that because 
that doesn't diminish her presence in the movie. Like we see like literally the look she gives as they're watching television over the, after the disappearance of a news report, after the disappearance of Jimmy Hoffa. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the most, again, startling images of the film, like just her looking at her and, and him can't even like, she can't even make eye contact with him. Yeah. Or later when he tries to reconnect, uh, at the bank that she works at as a teller mm -hmm. and she like, won't even see him. Like my thing is now closed and she walks away. Yeah. I like that's, that speaks louder than any, like, I don't know, the number of lines that she has, I think. No, so. yeah, it's a little unfair, I think, to, like, you know, like, <laughs> credit the, num the number, like, how good your acting is or how much representation you get based on the number of lines you have. Because, that, again, like I said, that's kind of the point. Because also, Peggy is obviously set up to be shy. She is not a very talkative person. And it's very much the relationship of Peggy with her father, but also Peggy's relationship with the other people in her father's life. You know, obviously, Russell is constantly trying to buy her affection, but who's the person she does end up connecting to the most? Jimmy Hoffa. Yeah. Because Jimmy is really not a gangster. He is kind of genuine. He is, like, he... <laughs> well, it, yeah, he's he, not a gangster. Uh, I mean, I mean but... not in a more... In, not in as much a traditional yeah. sense as you know russell yeah. and frank are obviously in, yeah in in the in the context of this movie less let's say morally complex than real life mm, um, yeah <laughs> scene is still like kind of passionately fighting for the little man and and you know again living living joyously whereas the other like mob the mob bosses and underbosses are all like you know stoic tough guys exactly hi you frank would you like to be a part of history yes i would big business and the government are working together trying to pull us apart Something's got to be done. What else you say? Now's not the time to not say. I'm a natural lover. We're going at war with these people. War. Things have gotten out of hand with our friends. You gotta sit down. Everybody says so. No, I'm not sitting down. I can't do it. It's what it is. What it is. I know things. They don't know I know. I don't want to say, like, well, I mean, they're they're all kind of myopic. Like, they're obviously not seeing the bigger picture. They're not really seeing what they're risking or losing by the mm -hmm. lifestyle they're living. You know, it's just kind of, it's all kind of banal, and that's what the movie kind of perfectly captures. And for that, I want to say it's good. Um... <laughs> well, yeah, so I think we've been uh, focusing on our praise points mm -hmm. thus far. Yeah. But... I, I think there are some problems here. Mm -hmm. um, there, there are some leaks in this boat. Yes. I don't know why I went to that analogy. But... <laughs> because so it's sinking about... slowly. It's yeah. slowly is the key word there. <laughs> yeah, because as, as I mentioned, the last hour of this movie, there's no music, very slow pacing, very meditative, and it just becomes a slow dirge of uh, kind of the, the mafia deteriorating like Frank Sheeran spending some time in prison and then his time in a nursing home. Mm -hmm. And that's about it. I can understand why Scorsese does that choice, because, again, this is a the complete mirror image of the more energetic and, let's say, entertaining gangster movies like Casino and Goodfellas. Mm -hmm. And he wants to contrast that with by having, like, you know, by really facing death in a, or at least the death of the mafia in a kind of slow, contemplative way. Mm -hmm. However, my main criticism is that it takes away from your, your, the first job of your movie should be to entertain, and I don't like it when films compromise 
their like baseline job to like pound home this image and i feel like at at a certain point it became like a little overindulgent mm. and just a little too obvious in terms of like how how often we were reinforcing that uh frank she- fred Jeff, yeah fred, <laughs> fred frank whatever um, frank sheeran is in decline and his his journey reflects like a, a slow march towards death mm. a slow slad march towards death like uh, we only needed a few scenes to show that interaction, but no, like Scorsese and Thomas Schoonmaker got to stretch it to three and a half hours because this is an epic, and and we've got um, and we've got uh, Netflix money behind it, so we can make it as long as we want. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we, I mean, was it really necessary for us to watch him buy his own coffin and then his own plot? It seems like a bit much, yeah. but mm-hmm. um, I'm gonna push back. I don't think that a movie's central tenet or most important thing is to entertain. I think. Mm. art is to enrich our lives whether that's entertaining or not i think is beside the point uh I'm just minor quibbles there um I, I i say the first bites with the eye sir you have to draw me in <laughs> okay. but we'll we'll save that debate for another show okay all right um yeah but i mean could it be shorter absolutely obviously i think the intention is Looking back at the business side, Netflix loves these long movies because then they can kind of divvy them up into miniseries like they've done <laughs> yeah. with Quentin Tarantino's work. And we also can't talk about this movie without talking about like all the money behind it. It's obviously a very expensive movie. Anna Paquin is very good. Does it need to be Anna Paquin? Not necessarily. I think she's kind of good. Uh, for what she's getting like does, did she earn that paycheck with the number of lines she had maybe not <laughs> um <laughs> well th- th- come on john she's a tremendously talented actor no so absolutely i'm best, just saying you like, get the best people for the best roles and yeah i mean no i'm not saying that she was bad in the role i'm just saying like you know this movie costs like what 300 million dollars like something absolutely absurd <laughs> no it it costs a lot to be a three and a half hour art film essentially <laughs> it costs reportedly 160 million dollars hmm it's not Avatar, but no, <laughs> okay. this isn't. This isn't sitting next to uh, next budget-wise to Avengers Endgame. <laughs> okay. Well, and I guess the reason why I wanted to talk about how expensive the movie was because a lot of that movie, besides going to the cast, is also going to the digital effects. Yeah. <laughs> the digital de aging, which, at faintest praise, I can say that I barely noticed it. But also, mm. it just felt completely unnecessary, and I just wish they hired younger actors. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, so maybe a little overindulgent. Yeah, absolutely, because you can you can have computers and AI figure out like how to reduce everyone's wrinkle, but you can't change their whole body language. And the yeah. problem is, early in the film, you can tell that it's a. 80 year old man playing this role like he's supposed Mm -hmm. to be young and it's clearly not coming off that way just the way his body moves it's just like there's that earth scene where the you know the meat he he's supposed to be delivering meat but obviously someone's paid him off to like not deliver it and he's like trying to play nonchalant about it and his pockets are in his hand and i'm like i know you're like 70 like you're not fooling (laughs) anybody (laughs) well and i they've been doing a, a martin scorsese al pacino Robert De Niro, they've been doing a lot of press for this movie. Mm-hmm. And I think they kind of justified that in saying that, well, at least with the digital aging, like you're consistent in terms of the actor, their psychology, and their body movements. Mm-hmm. Like they're inhabiting it. Whereas if you did different actors, uh, they, they may not inhabit it in quite the same way. But I, I think you're right. Like you are different people between the age of 30 and 70. Like you do change. <laughs> and you're right. Like 
I kind of got distracted by the the little hunch that Robert De Niro has, even though he's supposed to be about a forty year old man. He still looks like a as infirm as a seventy year old man does. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And you're right. Not to like uh, virtue signal or appear woke, but this like de aging process so far only seems to be a privilege for men mm. and not for women. Like most of the time, like again we to bring up like Anna Paquin she gets to she has to play Peggy at a certain age Mm -hmm. and she's not like granted the privilege to pay to play uh Peggy at age 20 whereas Anna Paquin is now age 40 yeah so that's that's the other problem I had yes I wish I too wish that it's another point of the movie being a little bit overindulgent not just in its its length and kind of hammering home that that point that's meditate that point of being uh meditative and 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 stoic about death, but also, as you said, this this digital technology kind of feeding maybe the the ego of the actors and like, oh, it was me and t- this entire time. <laughs> <laughs> when you see a movie like Moonlight, which is like an incredible movie, mm-hmm. like you have three different actors inhabiting the same character at three different ages, and it works brilliantly. Yeah, of course. So you could probably do the same here. Yeah, and again, to emphasize the point that it's like, yes, Tyrone is a much different person when he was eight years old yeah. versus Chi- Chiron. Sorry, but, yeah. what? Sorry. <laughs> You didn't have to. Cor- you didn't have to correct me. All right. Gosh. Yes, I did. Because yeah. I again, I appear better than you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's like obviously, I think there's something also to be said about how actors interpret the role differently as well, and I think that's worth exploring as well. So yeah. Um, overall, yeah, this movie's fine. I guess. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> yeah, I I'd say it it's very good and worth the three hour plus. Uh, investment that you put into it Mm -hmm. i won't go and consider it maybe masterful like i don't think this is an instant classic maybe in the way that uh goodfellas or to me casino like you know (laughs) hit hit me like a meteor or something it didn't it didn't quite grab me initially uh maybe i'll i'll return to bits and pieces again and maybe appreciate it more as a piece but it's more those moments that i really gravitated to like again the look that peggy gives or uh, the phone call that Robert De Niro has to make to let to and lies to his wife saying like I don't know where Jimmy is um, I'm sure he's he'll turn up eventually yeah and he's stammering through it like those moments stick out to me but yeah they're, they're, it's a, it's a it's a wide swath that they got to really peek in mm-hmm. and yeah if if I compare this movie to a graph there's there's a lot of moments of, of flatlining and 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 not enough peaks at, at, at to a certain extent and I think that goes into just being a, lit, a little bit overindulgent and again sacrificing the compelling or you know kind of liminal nature of it to say that make the same point over and over again yeah i mean you're right i think my problem is viewing this movie is i didn't really see it as a complete whole but just another notch on the masterwork mm-hmm. on the whole career yeah. of one martin scorsese which i think is also part of the the, con- the discourse when talking about this movie we can't just talk about it as its own individual film we have to talk about it in terms of where it lands in everyone's career and that's how i'm looking yeah. at it so yeah even though i don't think it's one of his better works i definitely think it's a it's a nice reminder of how versatile and skilled uh one martin scorsese is although he's only as good as the editor he's working with so let's just also <laughs> remember that yes justice for thelma schoonmaker of course <laughs> Justice for Thelma. To be fair, she's won three Oscars, and Marty's only won one. There you so go. <laughs> she's gotten she's gotten her due, I think. Yeah, and she's a woman, guys. I don't know if you knew yes. this. <laughs> 
Patton Oswalt has a great bit about uh, female editors. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> men, men, male directors are just like shooting their jizz everywhere. Yeah. Them that yeah, and women, the responsible ones, are the ones that have to clean it up. <laughs> and so that's why they make the best editors yep. for overindulgent white directors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and as overindulgent white film viewers, me and him love them, obviously. <laughs> me I, and I, you absolutely. are just like, yes. More Martin Scorsese, please. You know, I don't, uh, I don't care whether you did it or not. That makes no difference to me. Yeah, I don't. I'm here to defend you, right? Right. What do you want to know? You want to know if I did it or not? <laughs> so, John, so, John, let's let's peel back, okay? Mm-hmm. Talking about four movies in one week is just too much, okay? Uh, <laughs> let's talk we've done it before. We can do it again. <laughs> I know. But let's talk about the movies that we watched individually. Okay. Uh, we'll, we'll reserve a little itty-bitty spotlight for it. <laughs> Just a little I don't one. know if we officially... Yeah, I don't know if we officially make it spotlight. I'm more enthusiastic... I think I'll be more enthusiastic, enthusiastic about the movie I watched on my own. Okay. Uh, versus yours. Yeah, well, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> but the one Thanksgiving movie that we could all agree on was the Tom Hanks starring uh, Fred Rogers... The, Biopic? Question mark. A beautiful day in the neighborhood. I mean, I've already seen Saving Mr. Banks. Do I really need to watch this movie, Greg? <laughs> Sell me. Sell me. Yes. Yes. This this really does give credence to the great Onion headline. Uh, Tom Hanks commits to playing every American. <laughs> Did you know at at some point he stipulated like, don't send me scripts of real life people. I don't want to play them anymore. <laughs> like. I, I, that seems apocryphal. That seems completely no. Untrue. I cannot. Like, of course, no, that of that course, obviously Tom cannot be true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And of course, he's the perfect fit to play to play one Fred Rogers. Cause he's, he's a little too a... doughy, honestly. I think they could have <laughs> used uh, used a little de thinning, de digital yeah. thinning. Don't you think? <laughs> yeah. So uh, appearance wise, maybe not. But uh, in terms of his uh, joyful spirit, mm. um, he's far more energetic than. Uh, Fred Rogers, that's for sure, but he, he definitely restrains himself and and plays him, I think, very human. Mm. But, John, I forgot, Fred Rogers is not the star of the show here. That's right, because this isn't truly a biopic, is it? No. This isn't as everybody thought it would It would be, uh, like, kind of a, a big moment in Fred Rogers' life, and that was, of course, his famous testimony before Congress to assure funding for public television mm-hmm. for, you know, years and years to come. Um, instead, it's about a, a magazine writer who does a profile on Fred Rogers and how their relationship really helps restore his relationship with his family. The conceit of the film, this is actually by uh, a film from Marianne Heller, who did last year's uh, pretty good Can You Ever Forgive Me? Mm-hmm. So she's doing another true tale centered around New York. <laughs> um, she's got a lane. But the conceit of the film is actually it opens with the, the famous uh, theme song and the Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood like title cards. And it's like an episode of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. We see Tom Hanks come in, you know, put uh, take off the blazer and put on his sweater, take off his dress shoes and put on his converse. <laughs> and... He, he starts to do a show, like he has a picture board, and that's when he introduces who our real main character is, played by Matthew Reese, this magazine writer. In real life, his name's like Tom Judah, but they call him like uh, Lloyd Vargas or something like that in the movie. <laughs> I, again, it doesn't matter. Whatever, as long as, long as the name yeah. sounds Jewy, that's what's important. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you kind of have to like accept 
it's two things. First, this conceit that it's like we're we're mixing uh, Mr. Rogers' neighborhood with uh, the reality of this story. Mm-hmm. So that's the one thing you have to get by. The other thing you have to get by is that we're channeling the the brilliant appeal of, of Mr. Rogers, which was that he, he felt like he made a connection through you through the television. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think there's some uh, credence to that. But one thing is, now we have to channel it through this sad sack magazine writer. <laughs> um, he's posited as an award-winning investigative journalist. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's, he's all about making the, uh, the wealthy uncomfortable, you know, oh. really investigating and digging down. So when he's Take given, that, like, basic... 1%. Yeah. And so when he's, he, he obviously bristles at the thought of just doing a 400-word puff piece mm-hmm. uh, in the Esquire issue on heroes. Um, but this coincides with uh, his sister's wedding, her third, and uh, a reunion. <laughs> what a whore! <laughs> Bro, come on. That, as it's revealed later, they're they're Jersey trash. So no, of course, this is not. It's like that scene but, in the fighter where they go, or not the fighter, <laughs> a million dollar baby. And he goes to visit her family. Yeah. <laughs> ah, you piece of shit! Yeah. You always win. <laughs> It's, it's sort of like that because it's it's her I believe her third wedding. Mm. Uh, th- this one seems seems jovial. However, it's it it also leads to a uh, unfavorable reunion with his father. Oh. And so they get in a they get in a fist fight, and he's got a he's got a shiner when he actually meets Fred Rogers. And so uh, from here it proceeds like uh, we cut back and forth between his interviews with Fred Rogers. And the turmoil in his personal life, like he's got a newborn, his father's trying to reconnect with him, but he won't have it because his father is a is a creep and a low life mm-hmm. and sucks, and uh, for for reasons that he explains later. Because they're Jersey trash, ones. duh. Like you said, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the best part of the movie is Tom Hanks as Fred Rogers. Like I could I could hear the theater like get quieter mm-hmm. uh, whenever like it was him on screen, and whenever we cut away to Matthew Reese as the as the magazine writer, like. Uh, People would go back to like I don't know like switching in their seats or like it's whispering to one another or something. <laughs> like it's clear that he works as Fred Rogers and and one thing is and I give also credit to uh, the director Heller here is that he plays him as like a real person. Like it would be so easy to like play him as like a saint, but when uh, Matthew Reese's character like asks him a very pointed question, like he takes time and really like contemplates it and. There's a great moment at the end, or at least this is set up at the beginning, and it's mentioned in the trailer. Like, um, you know, there are times when he's angry, and he, and he again, envisions it as, like, playing all the low keys on a piano. Mm-hmm. And at the very end, he, he kind of, like, there's a scene of, of him at the piano, and there are moments when he bristles and, like, kind of hits all the low keys on the piano and, and goes back to kind of a melodic... So it... it it reveals that he was like a real person with real emotions, and he just knew how to communicate them effectively, i.e., music mm-hmm. or uh, with a puppet show. There, there's some stuff where uh, there's a long sequence where he has a fantasy, where he has a fantasy, like he's trapped inside the show, and he's talking with like King Friday and Dandy the Tiger. Mm-hmm. Like that, that scene really doesn't work, but it's the scenes with with him and, of course, uh, Tom Hanks as Fred Rogers that kind of elevate this material and and make it, I, th- I think, uh, worthy overall, mm-hmm. uh, worthy of a. Uh, checking out so well so one of the things that kind of interests me is because it was the same director as like can you ever forgive me like looking mm-hmm. at the trailers this movie had a very similar feel just in terms of like setting like the kind of urban decay of the city the hustle and bustle like there's that scene where everyone sings you know a beautiful day in the neighborhood to fred rogers as he's on the subway and part of the reason why i was a little 
turned off by the director of the movie is the fact that I felt like Can You Ever Forgive Me was meant to be kind of a darker take, but it kind of came off as a little too twee. And then this just feels like pure kind of tweeness to me. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you're right to maybe be put off by that. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't mention, and this is one detail that kind of annoyed me, um, the magazine writer and his wife uh, pl- live in a... Uh, I believe a, a like a Greenwich Village loft, and mm. they take the elevator up to their apartment. <laughs> and that's something that that I kind of like bristled at. Like this this guy writes for Esquire, and it's it's a it's pretty clear that their wife is on maternity leave or doesn't work. So mm. <laughs> that that one I didn't I didn't quite understand. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I if he comes right, from it, privilege, then obviously he has no right to complain or experience trauma. So, yeah. well, that's the thing—he doesn't. I mean, his father's a low life. But I think overall, like, yeah, you can kind of bristle at those details, or again, that not not exactly long sequence, but he kind of he he collapses and has this fantasy where he's trapped in the in the uh, show. Yeah. That that seems like a little unnecessary. Uh, it you kind of like look past those and look at the overall effect, and that's seeing Tom Hanks as Fred Rogers basically healing somebody, Aww. which is and mending a family, which is I, I think overall pleasant and worthy of uh, committing to cinema. So <laughs> when you say mending the family, I pictured him as like the family counselor. Like he comes to the wedding and he's like, "All right, let's figure <laughs> out your problems. <laughs> let's talk it out." <laughs> no, he encourages forgiveness. Oh, and maintains it's it's this relationship that. It, like when he calls, like uh, the wife's name is uh, Helena, mm-hmm. and when he calls and she answers, like he knows her, he knows her immediately, even though he only mentioned, um, even though the the writer only mentioned her in passing. Mm, interesting. And, yeah. So he's a creepy so, stalker too. Okay. Yeah. Mm. No, so this John, tale does get down, darker. All right. No, he wrote down all his prayer requests. Okay. Aww. He was he was saintly, but uh, still human. So. Okay. And the film gets that across. All right. Yeah. Probably not as good as the, the the documentary that came out last year, but mm. yeah. I mean, I, the apple apples to oranges. <laughs> I mean, if we're judging actors by how many lines they get in a movie, can we judge a movie on how many tears it brings to my eyes? Uh, yes, uh, two choke up points. Okay, all right. <laughs> One is a a redois of the uh, climax of the documentary, mm. where we take like ten seconds to think of somebody important. Here, it's a little bit longer. And another scene where Matthew Reese sings um, "I Like You" to his son, oh. um, trying to put him to sleep. Yeah, oh. which leads to another great uh, reconciliation with the father. So oh. I'll give it two. I'll give it two. Uh, two choke up points. Uh, five bags of popcorn <laughs> with uh, two choke up points. Uh, <laughs> Certified fresh. <laughs> yeah, no tears out of me because I'm because I'm obviously a man and I don't cry easily in movies. So. Uh, well, Greg, I have to give zero well-up points for the movie I watched this week. Uh, uh, John, what are you saying about uh, Queen, Queen and Slim? <laughs> what's it called? It's called Queen and Slim. You got it right. Okay, I should have had that ready to go. But obviously, you watched something, I think, far grander. Oh, yes. I watched uh, uh, Frozen Dose, Frozen 2, Yeah. which, all right, cards on the table, I'm a little embittered about because I actually wrote a treatment for a potential Frozen sequel. Uh, it was called Frozen 2, The Streets, colon, Black Ice. And it was going to be about Anna Elsa into, <laughs> venturing into a land populated, uh, you know, much like Arendelle, but with a more urban patois. And sadly, Disney wasn't ready for it. So it's fine. It's fine. 
Oh, and I, I genuinely hope the Twitter mouth comes to cancel you. <laughs> okay. I hope you can force off the internet for for all eternity, um, which is, I think, a good, a positive thing in your life. But yeah, <laughs> honestly, I think it will make me a better person. <laughs> yeah, please cancel me, please. I need it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Frozen Two, I can just sum up by basically saying Frozen, another one. Um, yeah, I was about to say, is this necessary? Uh, no, absolutely not. <laughs> okay. Uh, you can kind of tell the the struggle of trying to write a sequel to a perfectly encapsulated story from the get go because the story opens up with everything being perfectly content, everyone's perfectly happy. Nice. Yes. <laughs> um, but the story starts with Elsa, a girl who a uh, queen has who has been. Uh, that's the weird thing too. It's like this is considered a princess movie. Uh, Elsa's technically the queen now. Okay, so uh, right. why why don't we calling them queen movies? Hmm? It, maybe it's because we're too infatuated with the younger women and their young supple bodies. <laughs> maybe hmm? and their and their yes and their uh, glittering, just gorgeous, just voluptuous dresses. <laughs> <laughs> I think we like princesses because it get, it robs women of agency. Hmm, that's what I yeah. think. <laughs> how how old are they supposed to be, by the way? Uh, like Anne is the younger sister, right? She's yes. Uh, 18. No, wait, okay. Sorry, let me do a quick math. So, the original movie, she becomes the queen because she finally turns 18, which means, like, Anna, her younger sister, is probably, like, 16. Okay. And so, this movie, I think, takes place, they they mention it at one point, five years, three years after the original? I don't know. It's it's actually more... It's been six years since the last movie. Yeah, so, so, but I think in the, yeah, I think in the movie they only mentioned five, but, but whatever. Besides the point, uh, the movie obviously, every, you know, it starts off everyone's content, everyone, you know, is is fine, everything's great. Uh, the only kind of like complication is the fact that uh, Hans wants to ask Anna to marry him. It's been about five years of mm-hmm. dating. I think it's finally time, but he just can't find the right moment to pop the question. Like this is the mm-hmm. this is the opening complication <laughs> um, until Elsa, who's been blessed with magical ice powers, starts hearing a mysterious voice. Off in the distant lands, long forgotten through some complicated backstory about the uh, natives being betrayed by the Arendellians or whatever. Um, okay. There's there's a whole complicated backstory that I, I can't remember for the life of me. Anyway. <laughs> Do the trolls make an appearance? Yes, the trolls make a... a okay, a, once, okay phew. once magical shit hits the fan, the trolls have to come yeah. in and explain to people what's going on. So and Okay, so all my favorites are back. <laughs> yes. We got the trolls. We've got uh, what's the reindeer's name? Sven. Uh, Sven. Yes. Sven gets Sven, Sven okay, gets yes. a lot more to do in this movie, believe it or not. <laughs> okay. Great. Um, it's kind of the weird. Th- like, this is just well, a larger point that I want to bring up in kind of pop culture, is the fact that as readers and consumers of media, we used to be kind of obsessed with this idea that there's like a hidden world that we don't really know about. And that part of the drama or what characters had to put up with is kind of keeping things hidden or kind of keeping secret identities. And kind of culture mm-hmm. and media has kind of like dropped that whole pretense. Like the MCU doesn't deal with like secret identities anymore. Rick and Morty, it's not li- like everyone knows that Rick is some kind of like weird god alien man. Like, <laughs> and in this movie, like, you know, the trolls pop up and obviously no one bats, no, none of the people of Arendelle bat an eye because their queen has magic ice powers and everyone knows this <laughs> and so obviously the mysterious voice is connected to a calamity that befalls Arendelle and they have to go figure out what the problem is and like I said Frozen another one this m- 
is basically hitting all the same beats as the original movie. There's a calamity. Mm. They have to go venture into unknown lands to solve it. Olaf gets his goofy song. Um, the only kind of, I think, major change... Oh, this is a musical. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> you would not know it, like, one iota from at least out of the original trailer for Frozen had like the first time in forever song <laughs> at least there was an acknowledgement there was music there was nothing here I don't know I, I, I don't think I, th- I think it does kind of take you by surprise you're absolutely right that there is like a musical number in the first five minutes I don't know if you've obviously the the new um, song that's obviously meant to take the place of Let It Go which is Into the Unknown which contains a note that only Anita Manzel is is the only human who's able capable of hitting. So I feel bad for all the poor karaoke players out there who are going to try to hit that note. Um, the other fun part is that we get a, a cover by Panic at the Disco over the end credits. So at least we get that. Ugh, ugh, no. My hopes are not high high. Let me tell you. But the only person who gets a song who didn't really get a song from the original is the wonderful Jonathan Goff, a credit to Jonathan's everywhere. Um, (laughs) He gets a song that is like a pastiche of like 80s hair metal. It's got like a guitar riff and it's like making visual cues to Queen. It's very bizarre and it like kind of woke me up and I was like, all right, I'm kind of digging this. This is cool. (laughs) Because like I said, it's like the only moment in the movie that's not hitting uh, the exact same beat as what was hit in the original Frozen. So, right. yeah. I mean, I guess you could also say that there's a lot more magical creatures in this one. You have to deal with, like, rock giants, and uh, and Elsa gets her own little magical steed. Like, this water spirit takes on the form of a horse, and she gets to tame it and ride it, and that's kind of cool, I guess. But, yeah. yeah. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What, what, what What's wrong, Greg? Is this straining? So there's a horse in this movie. And I know from one of the ads, there's a lizard, too. Yes. You know where else I saw that? Tangled. Mm. All right, this is just a complete ripoff. <laughs> they, there's no creativity at Disney anymore, and they're just going to redo Tangle for the rest of the time. <laughs> I mean, Tangle does not get enough credit. Everyone's like, oh my god, Frozen took, lit the world on fire. It's like Tangle set the template. That's true. And you don't see I anyone guess, trying yeah, to make Tangle 2, do you? Instead, they got that no. stupid bullshit like TV series. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I think it's because John Lasseter had a greater presence in uh, oh. Tangled, and we don't talk about him. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm very uncomfortable. Don't go, don't go don't go to parties with him, especially where alcohol is. Consumed. I mean, just talking about him makes me tense in the shoulders. I feel like I need a massage. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> moving past that swiftly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so yeah, it's fine, um, but nothing revelatory. Like bring the kids to shut him up for two hours i guess that's it two hours unbelievable (laughs) it's a swift two hours (laughs) movies are too long all right i'm starting a petition change.org make movies shorter there you go make movies uh 100 minutes or less yes including credits you know what and also too many girls okay (laughs) movies should be for men I would love to see a recut of, like, um, there, there was some controversy, not controversy, but a big headline that came out of The Last Jedi is there was somebody who tried to cut all the women out of The Last Jedi, and obviously made no sense. Now I want to see them try to cut all the women out of Frozen and just have it be, like, uh, the, the the three minutes of uh, Jonathan Groff's song and maybe, like, a few Olaf scenes and that's it. Is Olaf a boy? That's that's an interesting question, isn't it? 
I guess, John, you just blew my mind in terms of gender identity. <laughs> yes, he's voiced by Josh Gad, but he's he's a mystical snowman. He may not have a gender. Yeah. Um, his voice definitely straddles the line between masculine and feminine. I so. mean, we don't know his pronouns. He's never expressed. Yeah. I mean, no. if that's the other weird thing about the movie. They try to give uh, Olaf something to do, but again, it's just the whole same theme that we played with before. It's like his naivety you know, versus having to grow up and, you know, face the cold, harsh realities of the world. So, again, just playing yeah. the same beats over and over again. Okay, Here we yeah. are. Well, John, the point is toys. That's the <laughs> idea. You're right. My bad. I keep forgetting. <laughs> the point is not for Olaf to grow as a character. How could Disney let me down? I know. I thought when they set out to greenlight Frozen 2, they were really going to continue the mythology. But no, it seems like all they wanted to do was make another product. I know, unbelievable. It hurts. It's it's. I know. It's amazing that people will just do stuff for money. I know. Um, we're on social media. <laughs> Follow us on Facebook. Subscribe to us on Twitter. I mean, that's the great mystery: is how do people make money on in, on social media? But somehow they find a way. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, that's why we're on Instagram now because we're trying to become influencers. Yeah. So um, once we uh, get enough followers, we can start promoting Goop products. Mm-hmm. They can sell us. They can send us the egg, and we can make uh, fifty thousand dollars per post. Yes, that's the real. That's the real. That's the real dream. Look forward to our unboxing of that uh, restraining arts kit. It's gonna be fun. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we're earning that explicit tag today. Okay, so we're there on social media. Mm-hmm. We keep it. We keep it clean there. If you do want to get more personal and intimate with us, we do have a uh, email address: aspiringsnobs at gmail dot com. Uh, we do accept recommendations, feedback, questions that we'll answer on air, and tasteful nudes. Yes, but only tasteful ones. I know. Yeah, other ones will be th- disregarded as trash. Yeah. So those are going straight to the spam. Yeah. Or should I say the spank? <laughs> <laughs> the, the spank bank, you mean. Yes. Anyway, <laughs> so, again, we're doing a good a, you a massive favor by being your repository of, of tasteful news. Mm-hmm. So if you could do us a favor, I mean, this is kind of a quid pro quo situation, pretty hot. <laughs> no, no collusion, um, no quid pro quo, okay? <laughs> I want nothing, I want nothing, no quid pro quo. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for being topical, John. But I mean, it's pretty hot when you know mm. two people service each other. So <laughs> since we provide a, a service for you, provide a service for us and give us a, a follow on your podcast service of choice, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. We're we're there. We're everywhere. Mm, yes. So yeah, give us five stars, and that'll help the algorithms find us. And when the algorithms find mm-hmm. us, then they push us forward, and more people find us. It's a, it's a feedback loop. It's great. The yeah. internet is just one mm-hmm. big loop. Yes. I mean, people say the internet was tubes. No, it's loops. It's all loops. Mm -hmm. Yeah. John, you brought up the internet. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's see where the internet went today by venturing back into the past and seeing a movie that I think predicted uh, (laughs) our current internet uh, escape. I don't want to say hellscape. Let's just call it, let's call it a barrenscape. How about that? Yeah, I suppose. Um, I mean, it's a movie about Nazis and Nazis have always been with us. I think the internet just kind of sadly amplified them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So next week we're going to be revisiting a little movie called American History X, which feels sadly relevant, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, this is also another dorm room, I think, poster classic mm. that you and I haven't seen. Yeah. And I mean, it's. It, 
I don't know. I feel like uh, as of recent years, also, we've been getting kind of in, not really inundated, but I feel like there's been a lot of movies that have been about uh, reformed skinheads or reformed Nazis. So I kind of want to see the, the progenitor of it all, the original, the OG, so to yeah. speak. Well, do you do you have an example? or? Um, well, Daniel was Radcliffe that... did one not too long ago. Um, okay. I know there was that one, that one starring like Jamie Bell called Skin. Yeah, there was that one, too. Those are the only two. I, can... I know there's more. There's... Ugh. What was the other one? Green Room doesn't count, does it? Green Room doesn't count. I know one of Ryan Gosling's big critical critical successes as a youngster. When I say youngster, this is post um Mouse, Mickey Mouse Club mm. uh, days. Uh, he was in an independent movie called The Believer. No, and it was like a Jewish uh, Nazi skinhead. So I vaguely remember. I that, know that won him some plot. For some reason, when you said that, I was picturing the poster. I don't know why I remember the poster, but nothing else yeah. about that movie. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. So uh, we'll finally get to catch up on that. And uh, uh, we call it aspiring snobs, but really we're just more aspiring 90s kids. We're doubling down on being 90s kids, really. <laughs> yeah. I'm just glad we're getting out of uh, an Italian-focused um, movie movie rut that we're I don't want to call it a rut. <laughs> <laughs> Getting out of the Italian focus lane. Uh, what are you talking about? We've been doing we, movies. Haven't you noticed the theme, Greg? We're all doing movies about the uh, access powers. We did Tokyo Story. Oh. And we did uh, The Irishman about Italians. And now we're doing a yep. you know, Nazi movie. Ugh, I hate ourselves. That's, I hate us so much. I, that was not intentional. <laughs> yeah. John, pick a better theme month. All right. I know you. I know you picked theme months, and you obviously wanted to do one on Axis powers. There so you go. Come back. Come back and meet with something more positive. All right. Hey, how about the Allied powers? Huh? <laughs> let's do some more French movies. Uh, let's not. All right. We could do more English movies, Mom. <laughs> That's great. We'll look at I, Daniel Blake. And, uh... <laughs> Actually, I want to do uh, in the name of the Father. We already did the Irish. We could do Irish movies. We could do the Irishman, and That's then true. we could do In the Name of the Father. More yep. Pete Postle uh, The wind that shakes the barley. There we go. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that's it. Damn it. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I talked about Waking Ned Divine before. Yeah, um, you mentioned that one. Yeah, I guess that one. Yeah, yeah. I guess that one doesn't qualify. Mm-hmm. I just have to yeah. look through uh, Donald Dom Hall Gleason's. Uh, IMDb. I'm sure we'll find something. Yeah, Brandon Gleason, John. I can Donald Gleason. What's wrong with? Is, why do you hate on Donald Gleason so much? He's a ham and not a good one. Hams. Uh, why? Again, hams are awesome. Everyone loves ham. I don't know. Tall, tall ginger doesn't do it for <laughs> no. me. There's your bias. Now I see. Yeah. Mm, now I mm-hmm. see. Yeah. Chella said he's tall. Don't like his red hair. <laughs> and that's uh, two strikes. And already you're down for the count. Okay. So. <laughs> All right. On that racist note, <laughs> to just leave I, to leave on the pile of them, I guess. The Irish were the first slaves. <laughs> God. Oh well, thank you everybody for listening. And until next time, uh, top of the morning to you. <laughs> keep aspiring. Keep aspiring. Um, I know we've ended on that note before, and I want to end on the, my favorite song from the Irishman soundtrack, uh, "Que Rico Mambo." Um, I know we've ended on that song before, but I'm going to do it again. Okay, uh-huh. do it. I don't care. Just because that song rips. There you so. go.